Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10:30 a.m. for worship, the Word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. Today we're going to be looking at chapter two, verse one through um, thirteen. Now. When we think of the attributes of God, when we think of his divine nature and his characteristics, what do we usually think of? When I think about, okay, what's the character of God like? What comes to mind? He's loving. He's powerful. He is love. What else? Let's let's say perfect. How about that? Absolutely sinless, holy set apart. What else do we think of uh, as far as God's character, the characteristics of God? Sovereign, long-suffering, jealous, interesting, patient, just, it's great. Slow to anger, very good, right? Faithful. What's that? Forgiving, absolutely. Jonah. I didn't hear you one more time. Say it one more time because I didn't hear you. Anger. Slow to speak, slow to anger, right? Slow to speak from last week. That's right. You got it. Good. Thank you, Jonah. Yeah. So he's also merciful. He's gracious, right? He's good. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's changeless. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient, right? He's all these things, right? But another attribute of God that, in my opinion, we don't talk too much about, and point in case no one mentioned this one, right, is the fact that he is also impartial. God is impartial. What does that mean? That means he doesn't have favorites, right? He loves us all. We said he's loving, forgiving, gracious, kind. That goes across the board. So he's definitely impartial. There's this thing about God, his impartiality, that is actually very important for us to understand so that we could also live by it as well. After all, as Christians, that's what we do is we imitate Christ, right? And so God is absolutely impartial in all of his dealings. If we look at the people in the Old Testament and the examples of how God dealt with people, there's definitely this impartiality because just consider who he has chosen to be his people, who he has chosen to step up to do the work of the kingdom. You would never think that these people were the qualified ones to do the kind of work that God has called them to do. In fact, the trend in the Bible is that he usually calls those whom you think, why that guy, right? You, you would be the first one to be very partial about who you select to be on your team. Remember Reese's time? You, you used to like, everyone would stand against the wall and team captains would pick people. And what would you look for? Talent, athleticism, skill, right? Sometimes we would definitely favor some over the others. And so God does not work that way whatsoever. In fact, he's very surprising with whom he calls many times. He's definitely, definitely not like us in that regard. And so we are not naturally inclined, inclined to be impartial. I think that there's a lot that goes on in the human mind that we just got to look at a person and we can kind of come up with some kind of judgment, you know? Before we even make an acquaintance, 
we go, hmm, there's something off about that guy. You know what I mean? There's just something about that guy. Now, maybe you and I, Richard, sympathize here. I think, I don't know if it's the brown and the baldness or whatever, you know what I mean? But, but sometimes I get looks like I look dangerous or something like that, you know? And I understand that. I, I, can, I can definitely have this intimidating factor. And, and, and I don't condemn people about that. I don't feel bad. I just do my best to smile and to let you know I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you, okay? But that's what we do. We look at people and we kind of come up with some judgment. God doesn't do that. He looks at the heart, right? And that's really hard for us to do, to look at someone and look at the heart right? How do we do that? We have to engage. We have to have conversation. Today is about that. Today is about these, these issues that the church back in the early church, right? James addressing them. This is a, a very serious issue that he's having to deal with them. And so what we're going to look at today is how this sin of impartiality can be a problem. After all, all sin is a problem, right? Let me, look, let me show you in Deuteronomy, before we get into our passage here, chapter 10, 17. Moses declares this of the Lord. And it's important for us to just know a little bit of God's character, his personality, right? Who he is. He says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the, and awesome, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. See, sometimes we have this sense of partiality, this favoritism, because there's some kind of gain, like that example when we were picking teams as team captains. What's the gain? Well, your talent's going to help me win the game, right? There's this return on, let's say, return on investment, you know? I'm going to give the time of day to you, and you help me win. But God does not take any bribe. Why would God need to be bribed? He's God. Think about that. There's absolutely nothing that you can offer him that he needs from you, <laughs> right? And so that's just a little bit of his character. So there's no impartiality with him. And God expects his people to also reflect that impartiality. In Deuteronomy 1, 17, he says, you shall not be partial in judgment. Hmm, but we do that all the time. Hence this portion in James. Another word for partiality is favoritism. And this is definitely something that so many of us are guilty of doing before we even realize it. And so James is addressing the church, the early church, and uh, this issue is very prominent at the time. We'll see examples of it. We'll see the kind of language that he uses to the church, so much so that it's important to address then and it's important to address now. Because if we don't talk about these issues, right, and, and I, I just praise God that his word is true, living, and well for us today, as much as it was then, right? And it will be tomorrow, which means we're going to forget this kind of thing, right? And so let's dive into James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Let's see what his word has to say in regards to the sin of partiality. It says this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not gone chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the court? 
Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committed, committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you show your love for us in that you're willing and ready and constantly instructing us, Lord Jesus, to grow in your word, to be filled by you, to be better equipped to represent you, Father. And today we ask that you would help us understand this. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord Jesus, for the transgressions that we do commit, for falling short, for minding some of your words and not others. And so, Father, just help us see the things that we need to see. Convict us where we need to be convicted and encourage us, Lord Jesus, that we may continue in the faith. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So, as mentioned before, this letter from James is a very practical, very practical letter dealing with much of day-to-day issues, right, uh, in the church. So, issues that must um, Uh, that most of us struggle with uh, today, actually. This letter is a book, or this book is about day-to-day testings and testings that we often don't even consider. And so it's important for us to have it in front of us, and we'll break it down. Now, the test, the first test that we read in James relates to how we respond to trials, if you remember that. If not, refer back to chapter 1. You can also follow up with the sermon series uh, through our website. We have the sermons recorded there. The second trial or testing that uh, James mentions here is how do we respond to temptation. The third, how do we respond to the word of God, to be hearers, not just hearers only, but also doers. And then now the fourth as, uh, as in regards to how to respond to partiality or favoritism. So let's get into this. So today's sermon, we titled it, The Favoritism Fail, right? Because we do fail at this quite often. Now, this passage focuses mostly on uh, partiality in regards to social and economic status. This particular portion focuses more about that, okay? About how we are, uh, are very judgmental, let's say, just from appearance, just from what we can tell from a person before getting to know them, really. And then establishing favorites at that rego- from there forward, okay? So this is, exa- this is what it focuses more than anything. And so... Uh, Those, again, problems yesterday, still today, right? So let's grow from this. Now, let's see. 
I'm gonna break this down to five sections. This is gonna streamline. You'll see the first thing I wanna consider here is just five features of genuine godlike impartiality or five insights to help us understand the sin of partiality. It's important for us to be able to understand it so that we don't fall to it. The first thing that we're gonna look at is the principle, the principle of what partiality is and why it's a problem. The th second thing we're gonna look at is an example. There's an example here of what partiality looks like. We're gonna look at that as well. Then we're gonna see the inconsistency of being partial and being Christ-like. There's an inconsistency there. Then we're gonna see the violation. So partiality, how it is a violation according to God's law. And then James closes this section with a challenge or a plead to believers. He's pleading that, hey, be careful with this, respond accordingly to this, please, please, don't fall victim, don't fail in this favoritism. And so without further ado, let's drive into the, uh, dive into the first section here, and that's the principle, the principle of partiality or favoritism. It says this in verse 1, My brothers, notice how James is reaching out with them caringly, lovingly. He's including himself in the mix. He's also Christian. He's also part of the church. He's saying, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, it says, show no partiality read it again, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The principle is this, having or holding genuine faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, while showing an attitude of partiality or favoritism, is actually contradictory and incompatible. So if you hold faith in Jesus Christ, but you also show partiality, we have a problem. It's incompatible. Why? Because if you proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, that means that you have received his salvation and you are also being sanctified, being made in his image, right? More and more, you are being, ref you are reflecting who Christ is and Christ shows no partiality. So if you are someone who, sh who uh, demonstrates favoritism, but you call yourself a Christian, we have a conflict. Do you see that? The principle is that. The principle is we can't be partial towards people because it's very unchristlike. I think that's pretty clear. Can you, under, can, you, uh, can you see that? So if we call Jesus Lord, but we're very partial with some and not others, or we favor some over others, then maybe Jesus isn't Lord. Think about that. Because what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? It means that you submit to his lordship. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't Lord. It, doesn't, it means that you're not submitting to his lordship just to clarify, right? That's, that's what this is saying. So we can't have that. Jesus himself was impartial. He expresses favor towards some, but not favoritism. And there's a difference between the two. You've heard me say favor ain't fair, right? So Jesus expressed that over and over. In fact, today we experience the favor, you know, of Jesus Christ, but it's not the same of favoritism. And what's the difference? Well, let me, uh, let me define it. Favor is a kind regard, a friendly disposition. Like to do you a favor, right? To be kind to you, to have an expression of kindness to you just because I want to be kind to you. But there's nothing specifically about you that qualifies you for me to be kind to you necessarily, other than I know you and I'm ready to do a kind regard for you. That's favor, right? Favoritism is when uh, you act or you practice a way of giving when you have a preference over another person. So it's like, I am going to favor you just so that I don't have to favor her, that kind of thing. 
or because I don't want to be here, I'm going to go here, that kind of thing. Then I'm going to display favor, interest in you. But that's taking the place of another person. So it's the act or practice of giving preference to one over another. What you're doing is you're elevating one and you're minimizing the other. Does that make sense? That's the difference. So Jesus clearly didn't favor some over others as far as partiality, favoritism. Look at Matthew 22:16. This was said of Jesus. They said, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Wasn't that true? Wasn't it true that Jesus was not swayed by the way that you looked? In fact, if you think back, who did he call? He called everybody, really. Like he had a really good blend of followers, right? He called fishermen. He called a tax collector, a zealot, right? He called people that you wouldn't even imagine. Pharisees followed him, and Pharisees also opposed him. I don't know if you knew this, but some Pharisees followed Jesus, right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Uh, Joseph Arimathea was also one. Right? So there was these men that followed him, and he was straight across the board. It didn't matter what status you held. And remember, back in the day, it was all about status. It was all about who bureaucrats and status and Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers. If you were low, you stayed low. There was really no way to be elevated uh, socially right? with the status. Je Jesus showed no partiality whatsoever in whom he called. Jesus never looked at a person's social status, financial status. He never looked at ethnical background, career background. He looked at their heart. That's what he did. He himself had a humble birth after all. Think about it. Who did he come from? <laughs> he came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the lowest of the towns in the region, right? Uh, uh, from, from humble parents. Mary was a very humble person. Joseph just wasn't he just the son of the carpenter, right? He himself comes out of very humble beginnings, let's say. He ministers to Samaritans, Galileans, and Jewish leaders. Didn't matter. Some people, in fact, his disciples wonder, wait, wait, Jesus, why are you even going through there? We shouldn't go through Samaria. No, we're going to go through Samaria. And I'm going to talk to a Samaritan. And not just a Samaritan, a woman. You see that? This was a big deal in their day because there was so much partiality. There were certain things you didn't do, certain people you didn't talk to. And Jesus didn't follow those rules because he's Lord of all, right? And he knows them and he looked at the heart. He absolutely did not practice partiality. He was impartial with everyone. And so perhaps because being partial is in total conflict with his character, it's in total conflict with our salvation and after all, look at what Scripture teaches. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. You know, when Jesus came and died for, every, for everyone, right, who would believe and receive him and, and be part of the kingdom of God, there, and it was, a surprise, it was a shocker for a lot of people. A lot of people thought, wait, the Gentiles too? Yeah, the Gentiles too. Wait, women and children too? Yes, let them come to me. Like this was the impartiality that Jesus expressed, and it's beautiful. And so the principle is this. We cannot be partial. We cannot show favoritism to some over others, right? And call ourselves Christians and say that Jesus is our Lord, that we serve God. That's the principle. There's a conflict of interest there, right? <clears throat> and so let's continue. The next thing that we see here, verses uh, 2 to 4, is the example. 
Now, let me give you just a little bit of context before we read this part. Uh, the vast majority of early converts to Christianity, they were Jewish and poor. And if they weren't already poor, they were made poor really quick by converting to Christianity. And they were, con they were made really they were made poor really quick because if you were Jewish and you turned to Christ and you walked a Christian life, then you were ostracized by your family and your community. And so you were found quickly in need just for choosing to follow Jesus. In fact, a lot of religions today do that to you. If you're part of certain churches, they, make it a re they give you a really hard time for trying to leave. And if you do leave, they make sure that it hurts you. All right, so this is the kind of uh, uh, practice that was then, you still see it today, and this is what most Christians experienced, most Jewish Christians experienced then. In Acts 2, though, verse 44 through 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So here we see that at Penta, immediately after Pentecost, there's the absence of partiality, and it was evident. Everyone was receiving their needs, fulfilling the needs. People were taking care of each other, but that was in Jerusalem, right? And who is James writing to? He's writing to the churches abroad, to Jewish believers abroad. And so this was definitely not the case for most of them. There was definitely a problem. There was a need here, and there seems to have been a lot of partiality because people weren't being attended to the way that they needed to. So let's read verse 2. It says, If a man wearing, here's the example, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing come to your assembly. Gold ring, by the way, this means gold-fingered, which, which is uh, a symbol of high class. It'd be the same as kind of seeing someone today with, uh, man, what's the expensive purses called? Louis Vuittons or something like that, something like that. Yeah, it's like someone walking in with something like that. It's a statement. You know what I mean? That's what that meant to have that gold, to be gold fingered that way. And to also have those, um, those fine clothings, fine clothing meaning bright, you know, something glamorous, something you can tell, oh, that's nice, right? You know, some people really value that kind of thing. And, and some of us take notice of it. Now, I don't know too much about purses. I'll give you a personal example of what happened to me one, one time we were we were um, at a birthday party or something like that. I forget what it was. And there was a lady there, and she had set her purse on the ground. And I think we were saying happy birthday. I'm not really remembering what was going on. I step into the purse a little bit, bump it with my shoe. And she made me very aware that I stepped on her Louis. And my, my, my reaction was, oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was a purse. I had no idea what she was talking about, you know? Some of us don't know that, <laughs> but there is this intention, you know, with the things that we have, they're supposed to make a statement, right? And that's why we buy them, that's why we wear them, the glasses, the, 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 the coats, whatever it is that we do. Our, the car that we drive sometimes is, is just for a statement. Some of us drive a car because we need to drive a car, and some of us drive a car because we want to make a statement, right? This is the kind of person that's being described here in, in verse 2. So if this person with the gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly, that word assembly is the same word for synagogue. So it's kind of like this. We're, look, we're talking about this content, context right here, where if they walk where you have a public gathering, right? When we come to church, we dress up because we want to look presentable. These guys are like whew, really presentable, like my, like my friend Elton back there. He walks in, you think, who is that guy, right? <laughs> so... They're, they're here to make a statement. And a poor man, here's the contrary, the, the, the contrary, right? A poor man in shabby clothing also come in, 
And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine, brilliant clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Now, synagogues had good places and bad places. We try to make this this space good for everybody so that everyone could have a good view, right? (laughs) But if you don't know anything about synagogues, let me just give you a quick explanation of what it looked like. It was a building. It was like a, a surface like this pulpit right smack dab in the middle. In the back, they had the scrolls. Okay, and the the building was a a rectangle with columns. So there were some spaces that were not good because you were literally sitting behind the column, perhaps, or you were in the corner. They had limited spaces. They didn't have a nine o'clock service. They didn't have a 1030 service and so on and so forth. They just had their meeting. Right. And so if you came and got a good seat, good for you. But most of the time, these people who were dressed nicely, who made the statement, they were offered the good seat. You know, you would think that these are the good seats, but not a whole lot of people like to sit in there, you know? It's like, those are the good seats back there. But they were offered the good seat. And some of those good seats actually had a footrest on them. Because the Pharisees, the teachers of the lost, really thought highly of themselves. And they tried to honor one another in this way. It's like, ooh, this prestige, right? this high status prestige. And so these are the seats that were offered. Meanwhile, you with shabby clothes, just, yeah, right there. And it was very evident the way that they dealt with them, you know? And one thing I like to say is I'm really proud of our church. I'm really proud of Way Family Church because there was a time where we were meeting at the community center over there and we had several occasions where people walked in and I loved the hospitality that we were able to share there. You know, they were brought in, they were given a seat and they were given a meal and they were asked to stay and to be a part of our fellowship. That makes me feel so happy, right? Because that's a good example of not showing partiality. Because so many times we look at someone, they walk in and we think the worst of that person, but they're image bearers of of Christ, of God, amen? And so we read here that we tell the poor man in shabby clothing who comes in, to go, right? And you tell the, the man who's well, well-dressed, you sit here in a good place. And then while it says, and in, in continue in verse three, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Now the sit down on my feet, now those are words of insult. Remember those footstools? Remember those footstools for the fairies, the, 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 the front seats? Some people would be like, you know what? You can sit right here by my footstool. That was actually words of offense. That was like really, what's the word I'm looking for? Making little of these people, you know? What's that? Demeaning, thank you. Sometimes I forget words, you know? Very demeaning of people. And, And so this was really what was common to them. James is speaking. He's giving you, he's giving them an example as something that was happening. So this was, this was a practice of theirs. And then the, the example continues in verse 4. Um, and it says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wait, 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 wait. How did we make judges with evil thoughts? Like, what is he talking about there? Well, think about it. Why do we show partiality? Why do we favor the one who looks good? Think about it. Like, haven't you seen when a celebrity walks into town or wherever they go, there's flocks of people? Why do you think people follow them? Why do you think we are, we, we are so quick to favor the one that looks great, that looks like he has money? Why? Because of that. Because if they're able to have fine clothing, that means they have money. 
And we subconsciously sometimes think if we're kind to them, like really, if it, is it just me? Tell me. Sometimes we think if we're kind to them, maybe I'll be friends with him and maybe he can buy me something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like sometimes we try to be friends with wealthy people for that reason. You know, it's like you, you, you have this greater sense of respect for them because really deep in your heart you think, maybe he'll like me and maybe he'll take care of me. I don't know why we are that way. Is it just me? You guys look at me like I'm weird, you know? <laughs> but we favor people because we think that there is a gain for us. We think that there's something we can benefit from that person. And so that's the example that James gives us as far as partiality. <clears throat> Look at what um, Romans 15:5 says. We are called to be an example of Christ, not to have evil thoughts. It says this, May the Lord of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together as you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. Here's the thing. If we're really, really leaning on the Lord and trusting him for our provision, this whole favoritism thing will diminish. Like, we're going to want to play favorites with God. It's like, God, I want to be in right standing with you because everything that I need comes from you, not anybody else. Therefore, hmm. <laughs> We don't need to show that favoritism towards somebody else. We don't need to exercise. You see, this is all a testing. These temptations that we have, these evil thoughts come upon us because we think we can gain something from somebody. We put someone higher than God sometimes. And that's why partiality does not work. The principle is just off. And so this is just the example that James gives us. I think it's a very clear and very uh, relatable example today. You know, uh, so now let's take a look at the inconsistency that we have, the problem with partiality. Here's the inconsistency, verse 5 through 7. 5 through 7 says this, Listen, my beloved brothers. See, James is pleading with them. Listen to me, please. Take note of this. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Wow. That's, James is not talking about those who are humbled. He's talking about those who are literally poor. Like you think about who the Lord has called. David was just a shepherd boy. His family was really, they were a humble family, right? And the Lord calls him to be king and he raises them to the riches of Israel, right? Solomon comes out of that. It's like all these people that are brought up from the Lord, they come from nothing, from humble beginnings. He's the one who doesn't... Doesn't he choose those who are poor? Why do we make distinctions then? Why do we think less of those that God has specifically chosen, right? He's not showing partiality because there's this economic gain. Like God doesn't think that guy has money. He'll help me, he'll help me grow the kingdom, right? No, 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 no. That guy has heart. That's a person after my heart. That's the way that God really looks at people, right? And I think it's beautiful. That's something for us to learn from. You know, God has always shown special concern for the calling of the economically deprived, let's say, of the poor. He's always shown concern for them. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 7 3. In regards to the law, he told this to Israel. It was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and, he, and is keeping 
the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord, was, the Lord has brought you out, of a, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It is because the Lord loves us, has promised that. To, re to release us from that slavery. It has nothing to do with your economic status. You know, his favor is just so impartial. I love it. It's beautiful. God's people are typically dominated by the poor. I mean, just think about everyone who the Lord has used. It is amazing. Look at Psalm 41, uh, 1. David declares, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Psalm 113.7, he raises the poor from the dust and live, lifts the needy from the ash heap. In other words, if you take care of the, the poor, God will take care of you because you reflect his heart. You know, this, this is just the promise of the Lord. So to show favoritism towards the rich and shame the poor is absolutely inconsistent with the gospel. It is. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want to have that practice, you know. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many um, were powerful, were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Wow, what an insight there, you know, because no one could say, yeah, I did this, I earned this, I gained this, I'm all that. No, in the presence of God, you're not, <laughs> right? But with the poor, when he's brought into the presence of God, he realizes, I am not worthy of this. Hallelujah. Amen. What grace, what amazing grace to be able to be sharing in the riches in the presence of God. And then uh, James continues, he says, are not the rich the ones who oppose you? Oh, wait a minute. Here's the inconsistency now. He says, but, the, but where am I? What verse am I on? Six. Thank you. Uh, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppose to oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Think about this. It's very true. It's the one who has, who wants more, and is willing to do anything to get that. Remember the story in 2 Samuel about the rich man and the ewe lamb, right? There's the poor man and the rich man. And the rich man was willing to take the ewe lamb from the poor man because he's not willing to rid of his wealth. There was a man who asked Jesus if he could follow him, and Jesus said, yeah, just go sell everything, give to the poor, and then follow me. He couldn't do that. The rich man couldn't let go of his riches. It's the rich man, the people who have those possessions, who go after those who don't. Just think of the world today. You know, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Right? Why? Because they take from, that's how they get rich. That's how they accumulate their wealth. And so then why do we favor these people? Right? And the poor are the ones who come in humility. The poor are the ones who are truly seeking from the Lord, right? And, and we favor the ones who 
though, are the ones who are oppressive, who uh, sue us, right, who take from us without even knowing. And it, verse 7 says, and they, they, they're the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. Many, many, many people do not find their necessi necessity for Christ when they have it all together, right? When they have everything, every earthly possession ma imaginable, they make very little of the Lord. They just don't see their need for him. And so James is kind of just bringing this to our attention. He's like, hey, consider what you're doing here. It actually doesn't make sense, does it? And so we continue. The next thing is the violation in regards to partiality according to the law. And that's verse 8 through 11. It says, and this is in reference to God's great commandment. We'll see the great commandment here. Showing partiality is definitely a violation of the law. Verse 8 says this. If you really fulfill the royal law, the royal law, that's the great command. That's the commandment that, that Christ gave us. What is the great commandment? Do you guys remember? Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. That's the royal law that James is talking about here. He says, if you really fulfill that according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. Other translations say, then you are doing excellently. You're doing great by doing that because this law really covers everything, right? So if you're loving one another as you love yourself, good, go for it. But if you show partiality, personal favoritism, then you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. Ooh, now you're picking and choosing what you can do out of the law and what you don't want to do from the law, right? And then here's, here's, here's the, the point in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of, all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so we say, yeah, we follow Jesus. I don't lie. I don't steal, right? I don't, I don't do all the things that those, those heathen people do, right? I'm a good person because I live according to God. But you show partiality, then you're just guilty of everything. Do you see that? You're still guilty of sin. You still are a transgressor of sin. That's the inconsistency that we have, like we, we, the, the violation that we have, we still violate God's law, even though we think that we're doing good in some areas, but we're showing favoritism and partiality in others. Let's check ourselves. This one kind of burns because I think that we all kind of fall guilty to some degree of this, you know, but we don't want to be in violation of God's law. We don't want to be outside of his, of his will. Now, um, I want to share this Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And this is why it's such a big deal. Because we never know when we're entertaining angels. We never know, right, <laughs> who this person is. We, we, we sometimes think of them less. But in God's eyes, they're beautiful. They're created after his image. And so God loves it when you care for his creation, right, with, for one another, when you love others at yourself. That is to be in right standing with the Lord. And so let's be careful in showing partiality, personal favoritism. And so with that, I think comes really good news. And this is the, uh, the last part here, the challenge, the plea that, that James gives his people. Verse 12 says, so speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? That's the gospel. That's Jesus Christ, right? The law of liberty is the message that has set us free. We're no longer under the, the judgment of the law because we're all 
We have all fallen short of that, right? We've all transgressed against the law. Jesus has set us free. Jesus took our iniquity, our sin, and he paid for it on the cross that we may be freed from that, that we may be saved from that. That's the law of liberty. We are freed. And says 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the good news. The gospel is the law of liberty. Let's judge one another that way. Let's show each other favor all in all in all, right? Because that's the way the Lord has demonstrated to us that while we were still yet sinners, he died for us. And so often we say, that's a sinner. I'm not going to be his friend, right? What if, what if the Lord responded that way to us? We would not have liberty right now. We would be condemned for the transgressions that we have committed. Do you see that? It frees us. The Lord frees us, frees us from prejudice, from partiality, from selfishness, from, from pride. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's live it. Let's be challenged in that way. It's like, wow, if God showed no partiality with me, thank you, Jesus, for not seeing that. <laughs> thank you for choosing not to consider my actions right and just choosing to, to die for me. Let's, let's do the same for others. That's the challenge that we have, you know, and, and I think it's so important for us to remember the Lord's words in the Beatitudes. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. That's a promise of the Lord. You know, let's be merciful to one another. Let's be compassionate to one another as the Lord was for us or is for us really constantly day by day. Now check this out. It says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. If you come before the judgment seat of God and he sees that you have a life full of mercy towards others, he will show you mercy and he'll just pour it on you because your mercy will testify to your saving faith. See, when we're saved, when we're transformed, we, we will live in a way that really shows our, what we believe, right? So if, if we're impartial with people, what do we actually believe? What are we actually thinking in our, in our minds and our hearts? But if we're gracious and merciful with people, that's because we understand God's grace and mercy for us as well, right? God will render to each person according to his deeds. That's said in Romans 2, 6, right there. God is going to render according to your, your, your deeds. But the good news is it's, it's, it's so good that our salvation is not dependent on that. <laughs> because we all mess up, right? Our salvation is totally depending on God's grace, but nevertheless, we've been given this human responsibility because we are the hands and feet, right, of the church, and we are the example that God has established here on the earth uh, for Jesus, right? And so we have this responsibility. We need to take it seriously. We need to show mercy because he has shown us mercy. It's that simple, right? But yet hard. So let's, 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 let's close it there with some takeaways. Okay, so what are we going to do now? The first thing I have for you is favoritism is inconsistent with the gospel. Therefore, don't favor people based on what they have. Don't play favorites here because you think you can gain from what they have. Right? Do your best not to fail in this common failure. We so often... Pass judgment before we even make an acquaintance, before we even know who we're talking about here. 1 John 4, 
uh, 20 says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Wow. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. So let's be careful. If we say we love God, but we're partial with some people. All right. So don't favor people based on what they have. Christ shows no partiality. Remember that. The second takeaway that I have for you is our beliefs should control our behavior. What we believe should really be expressed in our doing. So if we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's gracious, true, and that one day we will see him face to face, then let's be sure to practice what we believe. Let's practice that. Remember Jonah? He had wonderful theology. He knew the word. (laughs) He had excellent beliefs. But the guy hated people. At least he hated the Ninevites. And that was very obvious, right? And he was very angry with God. Let's, let's not do that. That's a great example for us, you know, on what not to do. <laughs> if we believe that the Lord is gracious and kind to us, then we need to be gracious and kind to others as well, always. Let's not be angry with God ever. One of the tests of the reality of our faith is how we treat other people. It really is. How we treat other people says a lot about you. So let me ask you this. Can you pass that test? Are you impartial with people? That's just a question to ponder. You don't have to answer that right now. That's ask the Lord, God, am I impartial with people? Do I favor some over, the, over others? You know, am I inconsistent with your word? That's for you to wrestle with. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, see the world as you do, Lord. That we would be constantly reminded that you were gracious, loving, kind, compassionate to us while we were still yet sinners. You were willing to die for us, and you did. And there is no greater love than what you displayed for us on the cross. And really, if I think about this and I think, wow, that's amazing. I absolutely deserved none of that. And yet you granted it to me, and that's grace, that's love, that's kindness. Help us do the same for others. Help us really bring people in to your glory, Lord Jesus, by expressing you well. Help us fulfill our calling in a way that's honorable to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we we ask that you would forgive us for being partial with some and for thinking more of some people than than, than we ought to. And also for thinking less of others. For who are we to think we're better than anybody else? So, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for that, that you would forgive us, that you would help us walk according to your will, according to your word, that we would not just be hearers, Lord Jesus, but doers. We pray in your mighty name. Amen.